Good morning. Yeah, it is. Uh, I wanted, I'm just set up at the, uh, what should I call this? The Peachtree Sound. Peachtree Sound. Yeah, it makes it sound like a southern uh, studio where they recorded Leonard Skinner uh, records. And oh, really? records. In the deep, dark depths of Peachtree Studios. Allman Brothers would actually be better. Yeah. Hey, how about um, moving your camera slightly so the top of your head is also in the frame? Um, just not that anybody will ever see this, but I did see. Oh, now I'm seeing your other. Okay, it's now what? It's, it's like, hey, uh, happy Happy Father's Day, belated Father's Day. Yes, happy belated. Uh, it was a it was a yesterday was a was a true pleasure. Um, my wife unfortunately was unable to participate to a massive degree due to the COVID that she is getting over. Oh, yeah. Before we get into all of that, oh my God, we're, that's you know the main show we were going to talk about Father's Day. So let's launch in. Okay, to- launch. go ahead. Do your thing. Go ahead. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. I'm Mike X. And boy, do we have a show for you. <laughs> We're all X. On RMA. It's a Father's Day Juneteenth Roundup coming to you live from the sold-out UBS Arena on Long Island. <laughs> and we're here to discuss the controversial Netflix documentary, Take Your Pills, Adderall, and the deleterious effects of ADHD medication that is seeping into every crevice of academic, sports, and corporate world. All this and more today on a very special edition of RMA. Hey, and a okay. happy Father's Day to you, happy, sir. Yes, happy Father's Day. Do you, do you, you feel better good. now that you got that out? I did. <laughs> I mean, you, you you worked on the uh, the outline. You've been waiting to say that for like three weeks, <laughs> right? I mean... Uh, feeling I got my groove. I'm in this cool studio that, incidentally, I had built for my son and forgot that how awesome it was. Yeah, I was wondering why we were you were doing this on the kitchen table with janky microphones and equipment when you had like a, a an SMB whatever that fancy mic is downstairs. XLR. It's like, yeah. ooh, and I have a new piece for this that I'm going to get. It's this thing that goes in between the mic and the, the board and boosts it. Super, super. I, um, yeah, so um, Aaron has had COVID for an entire week now. Um, and the flu, but the flu seems to, I don't know. So we keep testing and every day it's like the line gets a little lighter and a little lighter. But I've been sleeping in the basement um, in, in a cave for a week so i don't get covid it's really weird sleeping oh. on a mattress uh on a in a dirty basement it reminds me of college it's not that dirty and it has lizards and well you haven't, you haven't been over in a while yeah. uh i like you know but father's day you know am i right like <laughs> i like i like telling dad jokes sometimes he laughs <laughs> i'm up um that's courtesy of kyle uh, yes. From the Discord, um, did you? Hey, mm. Nat, what? did you hear they aren't making twelve-inch rulers any longer? They aren't. You get it? Oh. I didn't get it. It took me two days to get that one. <laughs> Melissa obviously is much smarter than me because <laughs> like, I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Give a man an inch, he thinks he's a ruler. 
Oh, was that like off the cuff or? Oh, I've had that one in the barrel for years. You know, that reminds me, Nat. It reminds me about this guy who walks into a bar and he's really impressed when he sees a miniature piano player belting out tunes on a very small piano. And uh, when he was asked about it, the bartender showed him a bottle and said, you know, he rubbed it three times, made a wish, and the piano player appeared. So the guy is like, really? He takes the bottle, rubs it three times, and asks for a million bucks. Nothing happens. The bartender's like, you got to be patient. So the guy goes home, and he gets home, and he gets out of his car, and he sees that his house and his lawn were covered with ducks. There must have been a million, a million ducks instead of a million bucks. (laughs) Right. So the next day, the guy goes back to complain about the error to the bartender. And he's like, um, he's like, dude, I asked for a million bucks and it gave me a million ducks. And the bartender's like, listen, uh, I, I made you no guarantee about accuracy. And then he said to him, do you really think I wished for a 12, uh, 12 inch pianist? <laughs> Lovely. That's a good one, right? It's a 12 inch pianist is, um, you know, the punchline to a million hilarious jokes. That, of course, is uh, from G Money Smooth. G Money Smooth. Yeah. Bar, bar jokes are funny. Two guys walk into a bar, you'd think the second guy would have stopped before he hit it. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. Thank you, Kyle. A lot um, of that in the Monsterverse this week. You know, my son, my son, um, speaking of Father's Day, my son has been eating electrical, <laughs> electrical cords. Oh, yeah. What do I do, Nat? I don't know. You ground him until he conducts himself properly. Uh, that's probably the best one of the morning. Be- <laughs> Thank you, Alan. Uh, because uh, it is uh, was Father's Day recently, I feel like I can tell as many of these as I want. But um, that's the last one. Yeah. You guys, thank you all who contributed. You also saved me a hell of a lot of um, <laughs> a hell of a lot of research. You saved me from going on our jokes on Reddit and pulling off the jokes that are suitable for family audience. Yes, and we use the word contributed loosely, of course. <laughs> this is a middle-aged podcast. We make no bones about it. Uh, two middle-aged guys in the suburbs telling shitty jokes. That's 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 what we do. But yeah, Father's Day is like our Christmas. You know, except without the birth of the Savior being celebrated. Unless you count the Father. I don't know, dude. You 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 look like you were celebrating the birth of the Savior, savior yesterday in that picture you posted. I was like, well, Nat is a holy man. <laughs> I need to bow down and pray to this man because he is like Jesus himself. No, it's, it's more like there's just so few people left at that church to do anything <laughs> that me and my dad are the two of the last people that will participate, you know. So inevitably when they have these... Uh, you know, special events. It's like me and my dad. He's like, you're going to call up a couple of, couple of the Kingsleys here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty fun. It was a lot of fun. You know, on Father's Day, for some reason at my church, they do Children's Day, which is like... <laughs> every day is Children's yeah. Day. Yeah, but we, I've been making that joke since I was eight. Like, right. every day my parents used to say, it's Children's Day. And so it's, it's so, it's sort of like, I feel like it's an insult. I'm like, this is the one day people are supposed to care about the dad and take care of us and appreciate us. And here I am celebrating these darn children. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. It's really just uh, the end of the Sunday school year. And uh, they like to give out awards to the kids um, who got some kids got scholarships in the, in the older classes. And, uh, you know, like my class was wh- whoever was there because like very few kids even showed up from Sunday school. So really? my son and uh, this other um, girl in my class, and they were supposed to lead the congregation in the Lord's Prayer. It was very cute. The kids like run the service, and it's a lot of fun. 
Uh, but it's Father's Day, and they always try and have this barbecue after. Mm. So um, we got to get to my dad's house, you know. Uh, we got all these lobsters. My brother was coming over. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, uh, I, I have to go to this barbecue first. You know, it's just I didn't want to completely diss, but. What time of the day is that barbecue? Is it like. It's like 11, like 11, 15 after, like okay. after church, you know, everyone files out and then there's this little barbecue. Early hot dog. Yeah. But uh, instead, I kind of snuck out of there. I like got my family. I'm like, okay, I'm like, go out that door. <laughs> my stuff. Let's head back to the house, get changed, get the lobsters and get to dad's house. And so that was fun. Yeah. But it was a, it was a good time. It was a good time. So, but for you, Father's Day was, you were a caretaker. Well, That's- not... Not exactly. I mean, um, you know, Aaron's sort of at the tail end of this of this COVID experience, but um, I did want to do something. So I packed Jack and Ben in the car and we drove out to uh, the Elizabeth Morton Wildlife Refuge out in Sag Harbor, which oh, is, wow. you know, in the fancy Hamptons. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I took a bunch of bird pictures. And, you know, the, the great thing about going out there is, is if you bring bird seed, the birds will like come down and sit on your hand and eat it out of your hand. Oh, and, wow. And so that's always, you know, the kids like that. And there's turtles and frogs and all kinds of stuff like that. And, you know, Jack is 16 and Ben is 12. And so it's like, how many times am I going to get the opportunity to get my kids to come with me and do something like that, you know, willingly? Um, So, you know, it it was a great day. I really, really appreciated it. Uh, On the way back, I stopped and I got a pie, uh, a blueberry pie at Kerber's. Is that that place on the island where the, the blueberry pie is like blueberries piled up like the freaking pyramids? No, but you have to tell me where that place is. Oh, yeah, there's just one place. I forget my one of my maybe my sister in law always brings it for some holiday, but hmm. there's this one place that makes this famous quote unquote. If you haven't heard of it, so it might must not be that famous, but it's this blueberry pie that's supposed to be the best blueberry pie the side of Suffolk County. Well, I'm not. I mean, I'm I like my pies, but I wouldn't consider myself a pie connoisseur. Hmm. Um, but I also stopped at the weed store on the way back because. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get some uh, some kombucha on tap, and the only place I, I knew to get that was the place that you went to that time in Huntington. Oh, is it still there? It is still there, <laughs> and uh, I've been experiencing muscle pain in my uh, leg and in my knee. I have a knee issue working, uh, so when I go running, it's been kind of painful, so I wanted to see if I could get any cream to put on my knee from there as well. So I walk in, and there's this big dude standing in there, and... Uh, it takes him a minute to register that somebody has come through the door. He was clearly so high that he could barely function. <laughs> and he's, I'm like, Can I, I want to get some kombucha and I need to get some CBD rub. And he looks at me and kind of blinks his eyes. He's like, hold on. And he kind of staggers off into the back and then sends out this, I guess you'd call her a bud tender who came <laughs> out and then was, you know, she's like, and then she, she's, so she mixes the kombucha. She puts, she's putting it in my growler. Uh, and then she takes out this little vial with it, with an eyedropper and she starts to go to put something in the kombucha. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I'm like, are you putting THC in my kombucha? She's like, no, this is, um, what'd she call it? She's like some kind of weird oil that keeps the bubbles down so I can fill it up more. And I was like, don't, don't put any weird tinctures or, yeah, <laughs> or that, oils man. or anything into the kombucha, please. I'll just, I'll take less kombucha with a few more bubbles because everybody in there looks like they really need to stop doing drugs. <laughs> so pretty, I, uh, maybe yeah. I'm going to get my kombucha elsewhere, I guess. Oh, is, you is don't the lesson. Have to, 
you can just get the kombucha. You know, they're they're not going to poison you. Plus, they charge you for it. You know, yeah, it, well, ten bucks or something. The freaking um, this the cream didn't work on my knee either. I'm annoyed, you know, because that stuff's expensive. You know, uh, the one time I had it, I don't know. I didn't. It's not that like. What is the point of just because it tastes sort of like a hoppy? brewed drink like what was the benefit supposed to be listen there are two people in this kinds of people in this world there are people that like kombucha and people that find it disgusting you clearly fall into the latter category i didn't think it was disgusting i just found it pointless because if i'm going to put up with that flavor it better have alcohol is the way i see it you know if it's not going to be an alcoholic drink i want like a shirley temple or a mexican coca-cola you know I don't know, dude. I'm not eight years old. Like, I want a more adult taste, but I want it without the booze. So, to me, I sort of look at kombucha almost like it's a mocktail of sorts. You know, I mean, I, not to say that I don't enjoy a Shirley Temple. Like that Shirley Temple that we had at the Yes Show in Huntington was like the best thing I ever had. Because mm-hmm. probably because I was also dehydrated and I just <laughs> shot that thing down. But man, that was good. And I've been ordering them since whenever I go out to a show or something. If you want to shake things up. Instead of ordering a Shirley Temple, order a Roy Rogers. Confusion <laughs> on the waiter's face. It's actually uh, Coca-Cola with grenadine. So it's like hmm. the uh, evil twin of Shirley Temple. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Hey, I had a thought. Yes. Um, you know how you were saying like there's, there's not a lot of people that show up at church anymore? Mm-hmm. Do you think that has something to do with like the fact that people can't pay attention for more than like 10 seconds at a time to anything and like sitting down for an hour and listening to somebody talk about Jesus is just like way too much for the, for the average brain of a person that's under like 30 years old. Cause yeah. I started, I started listening to stolen yeah. focus by Johan Hari. Uh, somebody recommended it on the uh, discord. It was Charlie. I think it was because Charlie is like taking a social who was on last week. He's taking a social media hiatus and only mm-hmm. like going to be dropping in on the Discord uh, once a week, which you know our loss is Charlie's gain because he's going to get some time and att- some attention back and some ability to focus and concentrate. But I recommend this stolen focus book to, to anybody uh, because it really goes into this um, long, interesting history of attention and how in the modern era we are losing it. And it's not just you can't blame it all on smartphones and Twitter and social media. Um, because yeah. it's been happening over the last hundred years. So maybe it's like technology writ large, like the, the, the radio, then the television, then everything else. I mean, I'm, I'm only like a chapter or two into it, but uh, really a fascinating book. Isn't Johan Hari the uh, addiction, addiction is, is connection the, guy? Yeah. Yeah. Connection is the opposite of addiction. And um, he was actually, he addiction is the opposite book. of connection. Yeah, he was on Dopey talking about that book at some point, and I remember thinking, this is really interesting. I should probably, you know, read this, <laughs> you know, just because it's, I don't think anyone else has um, put out a book quite like that since the whole world has gone crazy, basically. But I think definitely that's a part of it. Um, you know, I watch my kids barely able to sit through, you know, the entire, uh, and they're not even there the whole time. They go down to Sunday school. But I mean, mm. I was like that as a kid, too, but... You know, my parents blamed the video games and TV as well. Maybe their parents blamed radio. And so maybe it is kind of a, you know, progressing uh, uh, degeneration of our attention span. It's scary. And if you notice, entertainment is sort of now catching, trying to keep up with it. Yeah. So maybe the technology created it at some point. 
But then it started to try and stay ahead of it by getting more like now you have TikTok, which is, I don't know, 16 seconds and everything is getting shorter and faster. Right. I'm noticing it's it's like difficult to see my kids try and focus on a two hour movie. Yes. Yes. Able to do it if it's very engaging. But for the most part, they inevitably will whip out a device and do the thing where it's the 12 second. Mm -hmm. And I just, there's no story development. There's no production value. And um, I think, yeah, it's all sort of up to people who can't pay attention. I mean, superhero movies have always been sort of a little lacking in in all that stuff. If you want my opinion, I can't watch them. But but I noticed my, I think this this actually dovetails quite nicely with our um, discussion that we're going to have on Adderall, right? Because, you know, how society sort of structures itself uh these days um and and you know I, I i started noticing it myself like i go onto netflix and i'll pick something to watch and if it's a movie and it's two hours long i'm like I, there's no way i can do that so i always opt for like a tv show or something that i only have to pay attention for an hour and even right. that's too long i pick up my phone in the middle and i look at yeah. you know if, if, if it's dragging in spots i you know i pick it up and look at it but yeah i do the same thing i try and fight it too i like i notice i'm doing it and then i'll be like put the phone down i know i know like i have to leave it on the other side of the room it and you know and look listening to a book like stolen focus it really kind of drives home to me like how fucked up this situation is and how like 20 years ago like remember 20 years ago if you saw somebody talking on a cell phone like in public you were like what a douche and yeah yeah (laughs) you know And now it's like, you know, it's just normal for people to pull out phones in the middle of a conversation and and look at stuff while they're talking to you. Yeah. I I remember I was having this business dinner. It was a really important dinner with, uh, it was just an important dinner and it was myself and then two other people. And I remember thinking when we sat down, I was like, do not take out your phone. Like whatever you do, (laughs) right. Phone in your pocket. And I had to be constantly like cheering myself on, like, good job, good job. Like, I would get, <laughs> it was weird. Like, we'd be talking, talking, talking. The food would come, and I would think to myself, don't look at your phone. There's nothing happening that's more important than this right now. Right. Look really rude and unprofessional. And what I noticed, though, interestingly, the other two gentlemen at the table also did not take out their phone. So I mm. wonder, is it just my issue? Or are they also struggling internally with this too? I, I don't know. But I was like really impressed with myself. I'm like, wow, I didn't check my phone for a whole 45 minutes. Um, I think all three of them, all three of you were probably having the same internal battle not to pick out the phone and look at it. Yeah. I mean, and they did come out like there was a few times where we sort of, you know, it was unsaid that, okay, at this moment, we can all just check our phones to make yeah. sure are still alive and you could see it was like it was unsaid you know there'd be like a lull or after a course or something and then we'd be like look at the phone for a second and then it was it was like really weird but it um, is but we're developing all these new social habits and social cues that you know are weaving themselves into our into the way that we react relate to other people like now at business dinners at the end of the dinner or after you know a certain amount of time has gone by or or you know while they're changing dishes or something it's acceptable to pick up and look you know yeah. on the phone. um well, i don't know we're recognizing that you know it's you know it's rude or, or unprofessional so at some point it won't be considered that anymore and people will just be um yeah yeah and it's perfect for the show we're doing today um we actually are discussing this documentary 
take your pills. I know we've been teasing it for a couple of episodes and uh, we had such great conversations with the Monsters. Uh, we didn't want to stop the interviews. And I think if you guys listened to it, you would agree. Uh, it's been really great to have the Monsters on. And it is not stopping there. We've got um, many more to talk to, really interesting stories and um, uh, some great thoughts on uh, recovery. Do, do you remember at the beginning of the show, anybody that would send us an email or um, express even a small a level of interest in our show, we'd always be like, come on the show, come on the show and talk to us. And nobody wanted to do it. They're like, I don't know, guys, I don't think, I don't think I'm ready for that. And now it's like people want to do it. Yeah, it's so exciting. It's exciting. And I'm getting so much out of these conversations. I yeah. really am. I'm learning a lot about people's stories and, you know, about, you know, what, I don't know. It's just great. I really, yeah. I'm really enjoying it. Sharing the experience, experience, strength and hope you might say. You might. Perish if you were the, an AA guy. I don't know. the thought. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, uh, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and more. Come hang out with us, guys. We, we have a Facebook group that anybody can join. Um, you know, you just uh, request the invite. There's like uh, a lot of monsters on there talking recovery and supporting each other. We also have uh, patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages. That's the, uh, the discord we're talking about. And all the monsters that uh, that come on the show for Meet the Monsters are on the Discord in the Inner Sanctum. Uh, and so if you want to jump on and uh, support us on Patreon, that would be great. There's some video episodes, but the Discord chat, the Inner Sanctum, uh, is kind of where it's at. Uh, so it's where it's at. com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. And we will see you there. Um, and we have a website which apparently is not hacked. It's not hacked. I don't know what was hacked, but... Needless to say, the, the current website does function, but it is not up to date. The web designer cannot figure out somehow how to make the, the new episodes auto post or something. And that would it, seem to be a very elemental thing that a web designer should know how to do. And it's the sad part is I could probably do it if I just could focus because I used to do that shit all the time. And <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what it is, but we're going to have it redone by a different web designer that will have his shit together. Like Noah, like your yeah. son, maybe he could do it. <laughs> yeah, he fixed the uh, fixed my studio. This we'll morning. pay him the prevailing uh, wage in Bangalore, <laughs> whatever that is, twenty rupees a week. Um, yeah, we had some technical difficulties this morning, and uh, I'm on Noah's studio, and like, I can't get the headphones to work. And I ran up, I woke him up, and then he came <laughs> down. He's like, "Nah, you got to plug in the headphones, Dad." And, and, and uh, yeah, so thank God for that. Well. That's all about knowing better. And when you know better, you do better. But sometimes sure do. doing better depends on the tools that are available to you, right? Like plugging in headphones. <laughs> the tool is right there. Or is the tool the one not able to plug in the headphone? Anyway, yeah. as two men in recovery from alcohol use disorder, we know how difficult it can be to seek help for a disease that's so stigmatized. If you're struggling to get better, Soberlink can help. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system was specifically designed to help in your recovery. It's not just some breathalyzer that you buy at the store pull off the shelf, or steal from a friend. Small enough to fit in your pocket and discreet enough to use in public or in front of your kids, Soberlink devices combine facial recognition, tamper detection, and real-time results so friends and family know instantly that you're sober and working towards your recovery goals. This system would have been a game changer for Nat and I during early recovery when every bit of accountability helps. Yeah, man. This is my part, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, seriously. Um, I don't have the script in front of me, but I can... 
I've been talking about Soberlink a long time, and this really sounds like something that would have helped me out. I kind of wish I could have had this because when you're recovering or you're finally hit your groove and you're actually staying sober finally, and you know it in your heart, you're like, I'm finally doing it. And nobody in your family or your life believes you. Soberlink would be that perfect, like, there it is, buddy. I am sober. Read them and weep. I bet you can't think of a better tool for tracking and sharing progress and rebuilding trust in relationships, huh? Mm-mm. No. So mm-hmm. make 2023 a memorable one, one that you can remember. Visit www.soberlink.com slash middle hyphen ages to sign up and receive $50 off your device. And Mike will middle hyphen your ages. You keep saying that and I have no idea what you're committing me to. <laughs> Gently, of course. Gently. So Soberlink. So um, it seems as though the California event is happening this um, Veterans Day weekend in San Francisco. Uh, mm. Are you going to go? Is it this week, did you say? No, no, no. I, it's <laughs> November 11th. Um, November is a few months from now still. So, yeah, an amazing thing has been happening in the Monsterverse. It's like, you know, through Grant especially, because he works, I think, directly with uh, Shatterproof. Mm-hmm. And they do all these great events like the walks, they're raising awareness, they're, they're doing great things. And we've got an opportunity to represent the Recovery in the Middle Ages podcast and the people and our movement. And it could be a meetup. Uh, so Grant is organizing this uh, Monster Mash meetup. Uh, and it sounds awesome. And I'm like so excited about it. I'm trying to figure out like, I can't plan a week in a- ahead, you know? I know, it's it's tough, really but uh, I, I do notice that the, um, the flights are relatively inexpensive if you're planning on coming from the East Coast. So um, so it's like a meetup, and also it's a walk, right? Isn't it like... Yes, uh, it's in conjunction with uh, Shatterproof. And, you know, Grant put together a little blurb about Shatterproof that he wanted Dopey to read, but I figured, you know, why don't we just do it here? Because Shatterproof and RMA have been sort of dancing around one another in terms of creating some kind of a association, right? Yeah. Um, you know, because we think their mission is great. Uh, the ability of people to reach out and find treatment everywhere is, uh, is a great thing. Uh, so that's what we want. That's part of why we're doing this show. I mean, it's not the only thing of course, you know, but I mean, it really aligns, I think with what our, you know, goals are for, yeah. for doing this. And we're not, we're not receiving any remuneration or, is it remuneration? remuneration? I always said remunerate. Okay, so that's probably what it is. Uh, from Shatterproof, uh, in other words, they're not paying us is what that means. Um, you know, but we, we believe in the mission. So um, so if you or someone you know is ready to look into treatment for addiction, but you don't know what type of treatment you need or where to turn to find it, um, you know, it, it can be difficult to find trustworthy information. So the national nonprofit organization Shatterproof created treatmentatlas.org, which is a free and confidential online tool to help you guide you to the care that you need. Uh, so Atlas allows you to search by location, by insurance or payment options accepted. That's a pretty neat feature. So you can search your insurance policy and see if it's covered. And even That's by services or types of medication uh, assisted treatment provided. Uh, it's an easy-to-use 10-question assessment that can help you determine the most appropriate treatment 
And then you can compare facilities that come back based on how well they follow best practices in addiction treatment and based on reviews from people who have received treatment at a facility. So if someone didn't like the food or the equine therapy to a certain place, you know, maybe you X that one out. Um, Or if it's too much synonym for you at a certain place, then, you know, maybe you move on to the next place. Uh, So Treatment Atlas currently includes addiction treatment programs in 11 states like California, Delaware, Florida, Louisiana, Massachusetts, North Carolina, New Jersey, New York, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Uh, But if your state's not on there, uh, don't worry, it probably will be soon. By the end of 2023, Atlas will also include Wisconsin, Indiana, and Connecticut. So if you need help finding treatment, or if you'd like to leave a review for treatment that you've received, now's your chance, uh, go to treatmentatlas.org. So... um, Shatterproof, great organization, Treatment Atlas, great resource. Use it. It's, it's free to you to use. Um, and the Shatterproof uh, organization and nonprofit, you know, we're sort of building this Munster Mash in November around the Shatterproof Walk that's taking place in San Francisco on the Saturday of Veterans Day weekend. I, the, I do not have the date at hand, but uh, I assume it's around the 11th, 10th, somewhere around there of November. Yeah, I recall the, um, it being the 11th, but check on the, um, I think it would probably be on the Facebook group. Uh, Grant has a good post about it that has all the details on recovering the middle ages. And um, I was just thinking about when I was looking for treatment uh, or before I even got into the rooms of AA, it was when I was in a bad place. Not everybody really knew uh, and I was looking for like, where can I go? Who can I talk to? And, uh, when I was Googling the unfortunate part about the recovery industry, and it is an industry it is indeed, is if you go to Google and search for, you know, re- place to get sober or where can I get clean or something like that, what you get are these, um, websites that basically aggregate and sell recovery leads to, uh, to, uh, centers around the uh, the island in your area. And so they really don't care for the most part. I mean, maybe they do, but when it comes to their programming and stuff, it just, it just sends you to, you know, it's just a money-making thing. Mm-hmm. And very, and it's unfortunate. It can't really be trusted, I don't think. And I think to have something like, like Atlas, uh, it's sort of like Yelp, you know, you get customer reviews, but it's a, it's an independent party who is uh, screening these places. So it's definitely a great idea. I definitely needed in, in an area where there's so many people looking to make a buck off the back of, uh, of somebody with a problem, you know? Yeah. I mean, basically that kind of describes the entire medical system of the United yeah. States, but you know, it, every, it's, it's everything. <laughs> yeah, it's capitalism, but that's, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, it's especially pernicious when it happens to people who are really one step away from, you know, from death's door. Uh, you know, for somebody to look at that person as somebody to make a dollar off of is, is pathetic and, and disgusting and all that stuff. So an organization like Shatterproof that is going to provide that information in a, in a, in a manner that, you know, they're not looking to make money off of you uh, is, is huge, I think, you know. Yeah. And if you think how trustworthy and honest G Money Smooth is, I mean, he's just one of the most straightforward, honest guys I've ever met he's you can trust him and by knowing that he's associated with shatterproof honestly i know grant better than i know shatterproof but i know that if he's involved um this has got to be a good organization and um i think i think it's going to take the world by storm and save a lot of lives yes i echo those comments 
as well. So do we have any soberversaries to celebrate this week? Um, we definitely, let's see, um, uh, Melissa, who's been helping us out, as I like to say, is the den mother of Munster Haven. Maybe yeah, she, does, does she like that as much as you do? I haven't, I, you know, I figure ask for forgiveness, not permission. So <laughs> She'll for, let you know. I'll wait for the den mother to... Uh, Scream at me before. <laughs> so uh, Melissa says there, there was one soberversary that she knows of, but it's a big one. David K, 80 months. Whoa. So congratulations, David K. Can you hear that applause? Yeah. Like. It's in my headphones. Like normal? Yeah, I think so. Okay, good. Yeah, so exactly. your son fixed the, that issue then. Yeah. <laughs> he fixed another issue. <laughs> no, he's just fixing things. Just write him a check. Um, we do like to get people's stories. So if you could send an email to MikeRMiddleAgesRecovery.com, tell us your story and um, we'll read it. You know, it's, it's great to hear from people. You don't have to feel embarrassed by coming on the show and, and, you know, doing it on the show. But if you send us an email, we'd love to read it. Or we have uh, a phone line that you can call. It's at 516-888-6297. Actually, I'm going to ask that somebody please call that phone line within the next 12 days because Google has told me if no one does, we're going to lose the number. Yeah, that's that's where we're at. Somebody call it. Please, Ryan, if you're out there, you know, give give us a call. Let us know where you're at. Anybody, really. Anybody. I don't don't want to beg, but but I will. I'm not proud. Hey, what are you you doing? uh, Mm. What are you doing this week? You want to go to the dead show? (sighs) <laughs> uh, you got tickets to what is it dead and co i didn't get tickets yet but they're pl- they're unlike most of the other shows on this tour there seem to be plenty available for city field if you want to yeah. sit up in the nosebleeds with that take a swan dive off the top i was just gonna say that poor bastard that was last year he didn't make the last tour new no. um, um i actually had tickets for the for the cure um for thursday but i sold them on StubHub because um Erin has a, it's like the last day of school is Friday. She's got a meeting early in the morning and, you know, we're of the age where it's like, it's hard to do the late night and then go to work and function the next day, which is why I sense you're putting me off for the dead show as well. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of those things. It's like, I think I I can't remember the last, I did this recently. I mean, I, it was like when I took note of that show, you know, we got back so late and that wasn't even the day before work, Mm. the entire next day to just kind of. You know, so I'm, I'm a little reluctant to, I don't know. I, I feel lately I've needed to force myself to just take it as easy as possible on, on work nights. And it's not always possible. So to yeah. volunteer for it would be, you know, it'd have to be something like um, maybe a Pantera reunion show or. You know, yeah. Whatever. See, I would need, if I go th- Thursday, I'd need to take Friday off. Right? Yeah. I think yeah. I would have to do that, but. Um, I'm sort of torn because it's like the la- it's going to be probably the last stadium type show with any iteration of the dead, uh, you know. And so part of me is like big fucking deal. The dead died in 1995 when Jerry did, and then part of me is like, well, you know what? I, I really like the way Dead and Company has been playing lately. They sound really good, and I should just suspend my my um, my deadhead like. Um, fucking haughtiness and and just go to the show to be around the people and and then i was thinking well we could bring the the, re- the recorder and sort of interview people in the that parking lot cool. who were tripping on acid and that might be fun um but i don't know you know i'm still on the fence myself i'll probably make a last minute call 
if I mm-hmm. if I go. But, but the thing is, like, the dead is they're so good at um, getting their music out to people that I can buy the streamed video from the show and sit on my couch and watch it. Like, I think Dave would go with you. He loves that stuff. Oh. You need like another deadhead to go. I'm not going to appreciate it, you know? And it reminds me of a question. Well, I'm was, a deadhead. What, you, you don't want to go with me? Well, I have a question for you. How many deadheads does it take to screw in a light bulb? <laughs> How many? None. When something burns out, they follow it around for 60 years. <laughs> yeah. Dude. <laughs> Uh, uh, yes. <clears throat> Apropos, it's easy to poke fun at the dead. Mm. I understand. I know. I know. It's very easy. Um, All right. So you know what? Let's let's put a pin in that, okay. and, and I will um, I will come back to you later in the week because I don't. I think if you decide not to go, I'm not going to go to the dead by myself. No, that would be that would be sad. I mean, people do. But it's that at puts, life. No, it's at City Field. Oh, that's <laughs> rough, man. <laughs> Jesus. Why is MetLife easier? Well, we're we're crossing state lines now. City Field is in Queens. Wait, which one is in New Jersey? The Mets. It's I where mean, the Mets play. See, I was just having this debate with my wife. She's like, "You don't know where anything is." And I said, "That's true." So, that makes it a lot easier actually. I was just, Yeah, you could just it takes 20 minutes to get there. I was <laughs> No, not 20 minutes. Probably with traffic it's like an hour. All right. Well, put a pin in it and we'll see how we're all feeling. What about you, Monksters? Do you think that Nat and I should go to the dead show? Mm. Send me an email at micar at middleagesrecovery.com or harass me on uh, Facebook or uh, wherever else you... If I get enough emails from the Monksterverse that I should go, maybe uh, maybe we'll make it happen. Um, school's over. Last thing I want to say about yes. Life Up, where we discussed this documentary. Um, the stress is building up the finals are finally over. Um, I don't know about Ben's off this week, right? They're done. They're done, which yeah. I didn't believe. I made him, <laughs> I made him I go talk to the assistant principal. I'm like, you better find out if you're actually done. This I feel true. like you're not done. <laughs> <laughs> so they're doing jack and shit, and Jack left town. You know, it's just like yeah, nothing. Um, but well, actually, our kids are going to a camp together next week. Which camp is that? The fishing? The Shamanad camp. They're going to do audio processing or something, oh, video awesome. processing or something. That's so cool. Finally, we got our kids to hang out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like a lot of fun. it wasn't organic from them. It was, it was imposed <laughs> by outside, it. but whatever. It used to be when parents just made their children play together. I don't know. Our um, wives took care, took care of that. I, didn't, I had nothing to do with that. Well, that'll be cool. You know, uh, there's so much. Um, I'm always anxious about what are we going to do with these kids this summer? And yeah. It used to be a little easier. We would just pop them in day camp for the entire summer mm-hmm. and then done. You know, they were there till 3.30 or something. Um, but they're kind of older. They are older. And so now we're moving them to different, like, there's the community camp for a week for, you know, fishing camp. And oh, yeah. That's the end of the summer. Camp by the, uh, you know, the town offers these, you know, very affordable, thank God, week-long camps that are great, actually, when, when the town does it. And I think we got a great summer coming up. A um, couple of trips planned. Yeah, you guys are going to California? California. Yeah, we're going to California. I think we're doing a couple of cool things with like one of these amusement parks. Um, but yeah, looking forward to it. I'm trying not to project my anxieties that I always have about taking vacations. This is something I'm working oh, on. Oh, I see. Um, That's so why I'm, you don't seem all excited to be going away. 
Because it just am. causes more stress to you, right? Yeah, I'm trying to learn how to just like, I'm going away. It's great. Let's enjoy it. So that's what we are doing. You could start meditating now and you'd be a fucking Zen monk by August. Zen monk. Or not. I don't know. So look for those reports this summer of all of my anxieties spilling out on the radio. I feel like we're going to have to take a bunch of weeks off this summer. Yeah. Uh, I got to go to a work thing and then I'm going to Costa Rica after that. And it's like oh. A whole two weeks gone. I'm going to visit Paul Churchill's uh, ancestral home. Doesn't he have a, don't they do like. Um, oh, I thought you said ancestral. I'm like, no, no, I, don't no, no, no. I don't know what recovery elevator has been into yeah, lately, no. but Jesus. No, 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 no. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, so that, just, did he, did he get a uh, place down there? I don't know if it was a place or they just do those um, retreats. I think that's one of their. Ayahuasca? Uh, uh, I think so. Yeah. We were talking about that, you know, years ago. Uh, how he goes to these um, years ago, you know, like we would love, yeah, like a couple of years. <laughs> We've been doing this almost three Decades years ago. Uh, yeah. But I, I mean, I, I always knew he wanted to get a place down there. I wasn't sure that he, I didn't know that he actually did. Um, but good for him. Well, we'll have to ask him. Yeah. It sounds like he's doing great over there. Yeah. Helping a lot of people. Um, anything else you want to add before we dive in to the documentary? No, I think we should um, take a short break. And we'll be right back after these words. And we're back. And we're back. Back. Hmm. Ironed out a few technical difficulties, and uh, the IT guy was back. <laughs> I got him off the couch. He said, "The middle-aged brigade cannot figure out how to work this damn technology. Get me a twelve-year-old." But, <laughs> but he figured out in like ten seconds. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, yeah, you just got to select this." <laughs> we got to keep him on standby. I mean, maybe that can be his summer job. Yeah, I'm like, we should call the repairman at Sears. Um, this microphone on warranty (laughs) (laughs) so old um what the hell are we talking about today well finally we're talking about this um there's a netflix documentary uh called take your pills it's an hour-long american documentary from 2018 directed by allison clayman and produced by motto pictures and netflix studios the documentary explores the positives and negatives of taking psychostimulant medications such as adderall the main focus of the documentary. The film is a series of interviews with college students, working adults, uh, who are prescribed stimulants for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, along with parents who touch on the difficulties of raising their children, the ADHD, and interviews with professionals commenting on the use of stimulants. Um, it's a Can really I just say something before we get started? And something that I didn't realize, what? but I realized recently is, do you know who created this documentary? Hmm. No, it was created by a fellow named Matthew Piscors and Lucas Siegel, who are the co-founders of Alternascript, which is a company that creates supplements. Uh, and they, I, you saw them interviewed in the documentary towards the end. Do you remember those couple slick uh, um, guys that were kind of like, um, you know, start t- typical startup guys? 
like who are pushing the yeah 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 yeah. So apparently this is their documentary, which I didn't realize. Like their ideology is right that if students are trying to get ahead by taking prescription drugs, then there should be legal supplements uh, that people can take to level the playing field. So they put together these stacks of um, things that are not uh, like uh, pharmaceutical, but they're just like. Um, so I, I did not realize that there was an interest interested party. <laughs> well, I guess there always is, and that sort of colors the whole thing, doesn't it? Um, because they're trying to to put out there that these stimulants are bad, and but the effects are necessary, so they've got an alternative they'd like to sell you, basically. Um, actually, I don't know if that's exactly true. Hmm. Anyway, okay, keep, keep talking about the... the- beginning because I want to verify that information because now I'm, I'm thinking that may not be correct. Well, I found it to be very interesting um, because they don't not only, you know, talk to people who are using Adderall and stimulants in the, in academia and work and sports, but they go into like the history of it and when, you know, amphetamines were discovered in the early days of marketing. It's just, I love to, to learn about that stuff. Um, you know, I'm going to withdraw that earlier statement. They were just interviewed in the documentary. They were not actually the executive producers. Weirdly enough, the the sorry about that, folks. Weirdly enough, the film's executive producers were Maria Shriver and Christina Schwarzenegger. What? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that makes me feel a lot better because I thought it was a very poignant, uh, interesting. Um, I guess an even-handed look. It was mostly the kind of the negative side, but not completely. Um, and it goes into mo- mace, mo- moanly, Jesus. Mostly, <laughs> it's really talking about this boom in Adderall sales and the the boom in the usage of Ad- it's mostly Adderall now. That's like the um, the one that's popular right now to the point that uh, supplies are limited. Um, and yeah, they talk about some of the other ones too that that have sim- similar chemical profiles, um, you know. But I but I guess the, the 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 commonality that a lot of these things have in common is that they are stimulants and the, and they are very similar to methamphetamine in in their chemical composition, right? Yeah, and um, and it all started on June nineteen twenty nine with the discovery of amphetamine. Um, yeah, that's when it all began. It all began with Gordon A. Alice uh, or Ailes. And he was an American chemist and a pharmacologist, and he was doing extensive, extensive research. Uh, like he wasn't looking for a stimulant. He was doing uh, research on the isolation of properties of insulin for the treatment of diabetics. Um, so this was a happy accident, sort of like oh, yeah. Albert Hoffman ex- discovering LSD. <laughs> so he's also cited with discovering and publishing the psychological effects of amphetamine and methyl, methylene, dioxyamphetamine, MDA. He's Meth, the first person right? to have prepared amphetamine sulfate uh it's all meth man he just tests it on himself that so at first he uh, he reported the uh, physiological properties of amphetamine as a synthetic analog of ephedrine and therefore received credit for it um but the funny part is <laughs> to test it he injects himself with 50 milligrams of the salt what could go wrong oh my god and the funny part is he's reporting all of these like I feel like I can do anything. And he's just, he's amazed. He's writing it all down as he's like whacked out on this stuff. And yeah. I, I remember because he was like, one of the things he wrote was like, we re- reportedly, he's like having trouble sleeping. I'm like, yeah, no shit, dude. <laughs> but like, he reports this amazing feeling of like, 
you know, he knows everything and it's things people, especially at that and like gets this energy and this, you know, excitement to like learn and work and getting ideas and stuff. Uh, and that's a lot right there. Uh, so what he decides is, wow, um, I wasn't setting out to, to, to find this, but there has to be some kind of, uh, of medical use for this. Um, right. And I think the, the next funny part was he, uh, the Ritalin, uh, had to do with the person who developed Ritalin's wife was named Rita. Oh yeah. He was looking for, and I, I don't have the name. I don't know if it's this guy or a different one. I think her name was Rita. Her name was Rita. <laughs> he was trying to come up with something that would give her more pep and help her. You know, she was feeling a little down or something. And so he <laughs> well, called that, it that's, lean. Yeah. I mean, that's why they, um, the whole mother's little helper, right. The, from that Rolling Stone song was, mm-hmm. um, you know, Benzedrine. Because Benzedrine became like the the big thing, like it was advertised. And let no let no pharmacological study go unmarketed. Uh, big pharma stepped right on in there and started uh, marketing this stuff to um, you know housewives as a diet pill. And of course, like the first big use of of amphetamine was by um, soldiers and pilots in World War II, right? Who would help them stay focused. Um, you know, it was, it was used extensively amongst the German, uh, the Nazis in World War II to keep the Luftwaffe pilots uh, focused on whatever the crazy shit they were doing. Um, And then in the 1950s, it sort of became marketed to housewives, uh, that's 1950s terminology, as a diet pill. Um, So really sort of an interesting um, history of this stuff. Um, Yeah, the Benzedrine was interesting. Um it was, it, and everybody was doing it and it was an inhalant. So they would have some, somehow they would have like a little tube and you I remember those, the, the Benzedrine. And so what happened was uh, everybody seemed to love this, you know, uh, and the abuse began when people would take the cotton out and chew it to get the amphetamine faster. Right. And there's a million hilarious uh, references to Benzedrine in like, in music of that time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, a bunch of those on the uh, on the uh, on the documentary, but it, it's funny. Just like when people get something that changes their uh, their outlook, so it's like coffee. You drink mm-hmm. coffee; it's a whole new world. And, and so this was that kind of thing. But uh, a little stronger than coffee, though. It, yeah, you know. It is. Um, but at some point, though, like um, Benzedrine got a pretty was starting to get a pretty bad rap. Um, you know, as it started getting subsumed by, you know, consumed by members of like the Beat Generation, Kerouac and Ginsburg, and all those guys who started, you know, um, writing about Benzedrine. Or I think On the Road, Jack Kerouac's book was written in a stream of consciousness, um, Benzedrine fueled session or two. Uh, and I think that sort of got the attention of the authorities who then started, you know, cracking down on, on Benzedrine and, 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 and uh, things like it uh, and speed, you know, then it turned into the whole, you know, speed kills stuff from the 1970s, you know, or late sixties and early seventies, because when you, so they had to sort of repackage this stuff and 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 that's what they did. They repackaged it as Adderall, because if you look at Adderall and, 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 and meth, I mean, they're very similar chemically. They're both, they're both amphetamines. They both increase the levels of neurotransmitters in the brain, like dopamine and norepinephrine, um, which, you know, give the perception that you can enhance your concentration energy and also gives you some euphoria. 
Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's one of these things where they take a molecule and we see this a lot where they're trying to like, um, you know, with THC, they would make a THC delta eight, delta 10. And they're always playing with these compounds. Mm-hmm. So like methylphenidate uh, is the basis for Ritalin or Ritalin. Now it used to be Ritalin mm-hmm. <laughs> to feel better and uh, Concerta. And then and the other one has um, amphetamine is uh, Viennese. I've never heard of that one. And Adderall. So Adderall's amphetamine and methylphenidate is Ritalin, which is maybe it's a distinction without a difference. But, um, you know, these are getting very, very uh, popular, I'd say, you know, a- academia especially. And um, it's funny you mentioned about the, the idea of a level playing field. Um, mm-hmm. And you see this in sports, too, with, um, with steroids, you know. If they all know that one athlete is using it um, in order to keep up with that athlete, they've got to start using it. You know, so it's incumbent upon the league or the law to either say it's okay for everybody or it's okay for nobody um, because there's really no way to level that playing field. Well, in the league, you know, you talk about the NFL, they interviewed that football player, right, who used it, uh, you know, throughout pretty much throughout the course of his career. I mean, the NFL has no interest in really limiting performance enhancing drugs. I mean, if you can get away with, so, so you have the, the specter of all of these football players going to psychologists and psychiatrists and getting prescriptions written to say that they have ADHD because then they can legally take uh, Adderall and Ritalin and stimulants like that and play. Whereas if they didn't have a prescription, it would be considered a performance enhancing drug. So I don't see the NFL looking to crack down on this really too hard because they, in their mind, they get, they get better performing players and all they need to do is give them this bullshit di- diagnosis. I'm not saying all ADHD diagnosis is bullshit. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is a financial interest in the NFL um, having players who are on Adderall and Ritalin because it makes for, for better performance or at least the perception of better performance. And we can talk about that perception later on because where do you look at most of the places that this Adderall is being consumed, right? It's in, it's in colleges, College it's in sports, it's in sports, and it's in Silicon Valley, right? So you have to look at, look at this in the context of our cultural obsession with productivity, with mm. success, with constant performance. You know, these are the driving forces behind the trend. And you know, the pharmaceutical companies, of course, are, are, are perfectly willing to, to keep shoveling more and more of this medication into, you know, into the, the population and, and getting doctors, um, you know, prescribing it uh, at higher levels than it ever has been in the past, right? Um, without yeah. much of a, social, a broader concern about the broader social implications of using the drugs to enhance performance, you know, because it does bring up questions about fairness, about equality, equality and about social expectations, right? A hundred percent. And the, um, and that was one of the things that was glaring to me is, I mean, I knew that sports, like if you remember the eighties, Doc Gooden, Daryl Strawberry, um, Lawrence Taylor of uh, the NFL. Yeah, they were all on crack though. Co- well, cocaine at first. <laughs> okay, right. start, they don't start with crack. That always goes there. But really <laughs> they were, do you remember this in the eighties when they would be discovered for snorting cocaine? Of course. Yeah. And, but the reaction wasn't, Oh, they're a dirty drug addict and they're, they're immoral. What, what the reaction was is that's not fair. The general consensus was you're cheating by doing cocaine because you can do better than everyone else. That was what I remember hmm. with the talk being around that. That's interesting. That, I, I don't, re- I don't recall that, but it does explain. I mean, answer. really without cocaine would the 86 Mets have won the world series. Never. Impossible. <laughs> and so, um, this, uh, the football player in the documentary, his name is Eben Britton. Uh, he played in the NFL for six years. 
his last two seasons with the Bears before being suspended for violating the league's drug policy. Um, in a powerful story written for Sports Illustrated, the offensive lineman describes how he couldn't get through his football's daily grind without the drug Adderall. For most of his career, Britton writes that he was allowed to take Adderall under the league's therapeutic use exemption, what we were just talking yeah, about. Yeah, right. That's uh, when what he ran called. out one day, and this is where it all went wrong. When he ran out one day, that's always when it goes wrong. You run out of oxys, you go to, <laughs> you run out of Adderall, you go somewhere else. So Britton took, when he ran out, he's like, shit, I can't do what I normally do without my Adderall. A light bulb went off and he said, you know, my buddy over here is uh, prescribed Ritalin. And I think it's kind of the same. So figuring it would never turn up in a drug test, he was wrong. Whoops. Uh, yep. And so he, he's, he's quoted as saying, I guess I should have been paying more attention. <laughs> I didn't even. Yeah. Okay. Guess I should have been paying more attention. Not that it uh, would have mattered much, though. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I was thinking clearly at the time. When it came to football, my goal was singular to be out there on the field by any means necessary, no matter the cost. So, but why did that pop when the other one didn't pop? Uh, it's because it's a slightly different compound, just like we said. Right. And he didn't have a prescription for Ritalin, right? He had a prescription for Adderall. He had amphetamine, um, yeah, not uh, methylphenidate. I mean, it's 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 so crazy, right? Because the, the, the NFL they benefit so much from these athletes being on these on these prescription drugs or any drug that really helps them perform at a high level. But uh, but they put this scaffold of of rules in this this um, this idea that they. Uh, they're offended. You know, what was the guy in Casablanca who was like, I'm shocked, shocked that there's gambling going on in this establishment, right? I mean, it's basically, you know, the NFL knows what's going on. I mean, yeah. and I don't want this to turn into a show just bashing, you know, big sport, but uh, they're in some ways they're like big pharma, right? They, they benefit from putting these young guys through through the ringer, you know, and, and to the point where they're willing to risk their their health by taking prescription medication that they don't need you know, or that they think they need in order to give them an edge. And then when they get found out and they break a rule, then they, they get tossed on the shit heap because there's always somebody coming up behind them. Well, look, it, it looks like anytime there's that much money f or fame involved in something, people will be looking for uh, enhancers of some kinds. It happens on Wall Street. Why does it happen on Wall Street? Because there's money uh, to be made. And if you see the guy in the cubicle next to you, Staying up all night, staying up for weeks, making millions of dollars. Uh, you're going to want what he he's having. Same thing in sports. You see, um, you know, Daryl Strawberry doing this or that, or uh, some of the other famous uh, steroid users. You go, how am I going to do that? You know, you feel like you've got to in order to keep up. So it's sort of it's sort of homegrown. You know, it's not like they're making them do that, but. When there's that much money involved, it's um, a lot of pressure, though, to perform. Yeah. You know, at a high That's level, where it comes from, right? I mean, I, I think what happened with like guys like Daryl Strawberry and stuff, like they, there was maybe they started using cocaine and thought it was a performance enhancing enhancing drug, but when Daryl found himself, you know, in some weird neighborhoods in Florida smoking crack like for weeks at a time, there was no nothing performing performance enhancing about that, and he, he probably torpedoed his career. But what I find really interesting is like, if, if, if you're prescribed uh, Adderall for ADHD, which is, you know, what it's, what it's ostensibly for, right? It's for these attention deficit disorder diagnoses. If you are diagnosed with ADHD and you take a medication such as Adderall, you are less likely to become a substance abuser than those um, who do not. 
take medication for that condition. So, so that, I mean, that suggests that like, if you treat ADHD effectively with appropriate medication, like Adderall, you can lower the risk of later substance abuse. But, um, you know, I, I get the sense that a lot of people who are taking Adderall were not diagnosed with ADHD. In fact, probably most of the people taking Adderall do not have an ADHD diagnosis. Well, and, and no. And one of the things that came up in this documentary, um, was some of what they were talking about is that anytime they would test the effectiveness of one of these drugs on anybody, almost a hundred percent of the time, the person felt some kind of positive effect. Mm -hmm. So on the doctor scientific end, they're looking at it like, yeah, this helps ADHD or it could, or maybe they weren't even thinking about that. But initially it was a get out of the doldrums or be more productive and anybody who tests this will report, for the most part, unless you get really nervous or something, uh, it has a positive effect on your energy. So anyone taking it might say, wow, that was a benefit. Um, and but does it make you more productive? Or does it just lead to the perception that you are more productive? I think the studies on that no. are very interesting because they don't actually show people who do not have, people who do not have an attention deficit disorder their productivity is usually not helped much by these drugs, but you perceive that you're being helped quite a bit. Perception can be reality sometimes. Can it though? Like if you're, I mean, I guess you could stay up all night to write a paper, but you is know, it, is, is the stuff that's being produced by that all night session, like any better than what you could have done if you just stayed up by having a couple of stiff cups of coffee. And in fact, I think that study was actually done. And I think the answer they came to was no. Yeah. Um, and so, and if you have a drug like this, that you're insisting can only be legally prescribed if the, if a doctor diagnoses it, you'll see that the, um, the, the diagnoses will go up. Uh, the CDC estimates that based on data from 2016 and 19, that approximately 10%, and this has got to go, have gone up by, by then, that 10% of children are diagnosed with ADHD and boys being the most likely and almost 16 million prescriptions for stimulants like Adderall were written in 2012, which has got to be worse now. Um, and college students are twice as likely to abuse Adderall than their peers who aren't in college. Interesting. And that just goes to show you when you're in that competitive atmosphere, um, you know, so w whether it's the diagnoses, um, the doctors are getting it wrong or what, people seem to love it. Well, but I have a very, like, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a cynic, right? So, you know, all of a sudden, you know, back 10 years ago when Oxycontins were, were, were out there on the scene and all of a sudden there were all of these patients being diagnosed with chronic pain conditions that had never before existed in society. Right. Now, was that because there was a lot more people with chronic pain or was that because the pharmaceutical industry decided that it needed to sell more chronic pain medication so it needed to make more cases for the prescription of the drug. In other words, you know, build it and they will come as, you know, sort of supply side um, pain medication. And if you look here, I mean, you know, the rise of, of Adderall and Ritalin and, 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 and the prescriptions is directly tied into um, pharmaceutical companies pushing this stuff to make money. So you look at a, at a, a Journal of American Medical Association study in 2018, um, you know, the estimated prevalence of ADHD in children increased from 6.1% in 1997-98 to 10.2% in 25 to 2016, right? So that study demonstrates a significant increase over about the last 
20 years. And is that just because of uh, an, an increased awareness and understanding of ADHD? Or is it because, um, you know, maybe that maybe there's a financial interest in selling more drugs to people that, that have that diagnosis? Call me crazy, but where, where have I seen this before? You know? Well, yeah. And it reminds me, although it's not completely analogous though, um, the rise in autism diagnoses, right? Um, this is, I mean, but I can't, I don't know what like the monetary motivation would be there. Cause because you no, can't really treat autism right. with medication. So. It's sort of that same, like we, we've talked, I've talked about this before. I was having this debate with someone about, um, you know, are there really more cases of autism? And if so, we should find out why, or are we just more, um, adept at diagnosing a spectrum of, uh, a spectrum of, of problems that people are having. Um, and maybe it's the same with ADHD, um, where we're seeing like a spectrum, like everybody probably has some form of attention, like they need to pay better attention. And so it's up to the, the doctor who's prescribing it to be able to tell the difference between someone who actually benefits or needs the medication as compared with someone who is maybe just not that smart or has trouble like me, like I have trouble concentrating, you know? Um, and so which one is it? And when you throw in the, the, the drug companies and the money-making side of it, it's hard to sort of trust what they're doing. I mean, that's true that they, you know, they also, I, uh, interviewed a couple of different doctors with very different perspectives on whether or not that, you know, this stuff should be prescribed as, as loosely as it has been lately. I mean, there's, there was that one guy who, um, has absolutely no issue putting kids on it whatsoever. You know, once he figures out that they've reached that diagnosis, diagnostic oh, criteria. Yeah. And then, you know, it. that was the guy in the bow tie. You yeah. know, he, he loved Adderall. He was like so into it. And then there was a other, couple other doctors who were very sort of hesitant about prescribing it because they didn't think that it was really warranted in, in the large uh, group of cases. But I think you, you, you touched on something really interesting. Um, you know, the societal changes we were talking about earlier in the show, you know, including the increase in screen time and the whole idea that we're unable to pay attention for anything longer than, you know, 19 seconds at a time. I mean, maybe we're all candidates for, for Adderall yeah. and Ritalin. It, maybe society has changed in such a fundamental way that it's not the drug company's profits motives that it's driving this increase in Adderall prescription. Maybe it's just because the way that society is developing uh, we just have no attention span anymore, and doctors are seeing this in kids and say, and maybe they're misdiagnosing it as ADHD, or the, or we all have ADHD now. Yeah, but I mean, then there's true, but um, you know, if all you if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So, like, if that's all they're looking for, they're of course going to prescribe it more. But, but that's I, the only tool they have, right? Well, I mean, maybe there are CBT, cognitive behavioral therapies that can be done. Maybe there are self-binding with your devices. Maybe mm. maybe you can do it without medic. Maybe medication shouldn't be, I mean, certainly the easiest, but maybe it isn't the only way. Um, but I think that's a great point. You know, if we have an entire society who clearly, uh, I think studies show that uh, our attention spans are, and not just kids and video games. I mean, this is throughout our society. Uh, our tension spans are dropping and maybe right that this is just sort of a cause and effect uh, as to why there are so much more. But in uh, the increased need for it, there's going to be more over prescribing. Right. So it's it's kind of a self 
<laughs> feeding uh, monster of um, attention deficit disorder medication, basically. Yeah, chicken or the egg. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. I think it's a, a complex uh, and evolving area of research. You know, in terms of where our uh, you know the issues around our attention and. You know, I just, I, I hate the idea that we've normalized, like, the idea of taking um, a pill like Ritalin to enhance our performance because we feel social pressure to perform at those levels, you know. But, but I guess it's not unique in American society, right? People have always availed themselves of those, uh, those little little helpers, right? Yeah, there's like mother's little helper. Um, I always love this story about Dr. Feelgood. Um, and famously, John F. Kennedy was taking amphetamines uh, in order to stay focused and to be his best self. And, uh, and so amphetamines have been used, you know, from as soon as they were discovered, people wanted this edge. And um, I, interestingly, I feel like, you know, people look at, and they talked about this in the documentary, because, of course, your favorite Dr. Carl Hart weighs in on it. <laughs> you know, but it's that question of why is it okay to drink coffee to get an edge, but a, medica- a medication is considered immoral. And why are there morality judgments on whether or not you use a medication or not? Like, Are, why are is- there, do you think, when it comes to like ADHD? Um, well, that's the thing. If somebody is using it you know, for school in one, uh, in one socioeconomic bracket, like one group of people, like college students use it, Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're considered, oh, they need it for school or they have bad attention. But, you know, when people are making methamphetamine in their garage or, you know, <laughs> taking cocaine to get ahead, this is somehow debased and immoral when really it's kind of all trying to do the same thing, which is perform better and to enhance your, if you're not just trying to get high. I, mean. I, I was going to say, man, I don't know how many people who are cooking methamphetamines or using cocaine to get ahead. I mean, that might have been the go-go drug in the 80s. You always hear that, though. Like, the person will be like, uh, they'll be, even in college sometimes, you know, the first time they take meth, they're like, wow, I can get everything done. Uh, or, you know. But no that, one's getting, no one's like getting meth in college. Like, people are like buying Adderall from their friends. Because right? they have access. <clears throat> they have doctors. They have money. Yeah. And they have access. So that's unfair too. If they really are getting these uh, benefits and they're not considered immoral drug addicts because a doctor, you know, says it's okay. And that's like Carl Hart's whole thing. So, so meth dealers are just, they're just really, they're just like doctors. They're like Robin hoods, right? They're, they're taking chemical compounds from the rich and they're providing performance enhancement to the poor. Is that, is that the argument? Maybe we could all use it. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, yeah, Carl Hart makes the, that same point. We treat meth very differently. And you wrote, did you write this on my outline? I, what? I, okay, so I was in my outline. There's Carl Hart makes the point that we treat meth very differently than prescribed amphetamine. And he points out to highlight the idiotic nature of those perceptions. And then you must have written, but Carl Hart is an idiot himself. So whatever he says is usually some form of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely rec- <laughs> I think I might have written that. Yeah, I'm cracking up. Um, yeah, because I think I think the comparison is absurd between methamphetamine and Adderall. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, it, for, is he tr- really trying to argue that poor people cook meth to, to give themselves a competitive advantage? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't, I don't understand the argument. It's horseshit. Well, he he sort of does that on the you know writ large, like all kind of these medications that he's you know taking at home. 
Well, right. He's for like recreational purposes. Why are you judging me? Because, you know, is it because, you know, I'm taking um, heroin, you know, from a doctor? Why is that different from, you know, the painkillers and that sort of thing? So but what do you think Dr. Dr. Carl Hart is using recreationally on the weekends? Do you think it's Adderall or do you think he's scoring meth on the street somewhere? I don't think he goes on the streets. I think Carl Hart gets his drugs from like the source for his research. That was so what was so amazing about Dr. Carl Hart. He wants methamphetamine. He gets like you know, the real shit you know, from the labs. Um, so he's got a very different access. It's the, the breaking bad stuff, the, the blue, the blue shards or whatever it is. Um, it's funny. You brought up Dr. Feelgood, um, JFK and stuff like, I don't think JFK even knew, you know, that Probably he was not. getting, he, um, that this Dr. Feelgood used to give him what, what he called vitamin shots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and the, the injections had, yeah, they, there were some B vitamins in there, but it was mostly, mostly uh, amphetamines. Yeah. Um, uh, Max- Kennedy, Kennedy the, there's some thinking that Kennedy, like many of this guy's patients, probably was not fully aware of what was being shot into his butt on a regular basis. So. Yeah. Um, one thing we did not touch on uh, that really affected me, actually, because I did have a severe addiction to, um, to Ritalin and amphetamine really? in college. Yes. Talk um, about that. Well... I mean, I was, I can't remember, like when I was in high school, I was at kind of a competitive um, sleepaway school type of thing. And uh, I had uh, lots of kids were prescribed these things. And, uh, and uh, one of my friends was like, hey, you want to try this? It's called Ritalin. Mm-hmm. And we were like, you know, musicians, quote unquote, we were like kind of having fun writing stuff, trying to record stuff. And I'll never forget the first time I took that kid's Ritalin it was like I was in another universe when it came to being able to focus on writing a song. Uh, and I remember thinking when I would take this drug or snort it, however we were taking it, it was like all of a sudden an entire album was in my head or the entire song with all the parts fleshed out. And all I had to do was get it out before I forgot it. And that was the feeling. And I was so addicted to that, like instant inspiration, I used to call it. And what, and I just kept, and I needed it. So after several years, I couldn't function without it. And it was a real, problem. were you in fact able to get it out of your head onto the paper or into reality or did it just kind of stay there? Um, I actually, I was able to get it out to like, at first it was great. It wasn't a total mess. And I was, I was like writing really interesting things. I was impressed with my own, you know, inspiration. I'm like, Oh, that's great. You know, but what would happen was after a couple of years of that, what I noticed was the recordings I would come up with were a total mess. And it really just went out of control till it was just awful. I mean, before a time it was really good and that's why I kept doing it. But I think there must've been some kind of uh, it just got way worse, you know, and then it was completely useless. So when you took Ritalin, did you feel high or did you just feel productive? I felt like over the top productive and serotonin spike. Yeah. You feel good. You feel like I just had a great idea. I got to record this. You got to focus. It was just, yeah, it was addictive as a musician and as a creator, it was sort of like a magic pill, a magic ticket to inspiration. And that really ruined um, my brain for being creative because by the end of college, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't have inspiration, you know, on it or off it. I was just totally fried. 
And it took years of not taking it in order to get that back. I mean, did it help you with the schoolwork? With, or did you not take it during those periods, <laughs> just during extra, extracurricular periods? When, when I took uh, when I took Ritalin in college, the way I did, and it was definitely abuse. I mean, let's no bones about it. This was not me taking it like as prescribed at the proper time. It was so. Way- was it so? You eventually got a prescription, right? Uh, at some point, um, but you know, not really. I mean, <laughs> I did like years later for a short period of time, but I always was acquiring it illegally uh, or from friends. Okay, and. Um, yeah, it didn't help me do schoolwork now because the first thing I wanted to do was write music or mm. horrible poetry or that screenplay I've been thinking of. Like all this shit I would never have focused on had I not been abusing this stimulant. Uh, and that was addictive to me. And by the time it ruined, you know, my, my college career, uh, you know, it was too late. And uh, yeah, and it took me a very long time because from there, I went to abuse other kinds of uh, substances that would make me feel better instead mm. of just focused. And then so years and years, it took me after getting sober to get that natural inspiration back, that natural desire to practice um, my instruments and things like that. Um, yeah. And that was that uh, anhedonia had set in significantly. And right. it took a couple of years to get back that natural, like, I do want to uh, write music, you know? Well, so, your brain needed to reset the, the chemical come back to some sort of chemical homeostasis you know because they interviewed that kid in the documentary i'm thinking you know the artist who um right you know he he's the one that came up with the take your pills artwork like he he you know painted a lot of um really pretty interesting stuff uh but he incorporated the phrase take your pills in it because he had been prescribed uh, adderall at a young age and and ritalin and his mother was always yelling up up at him take your pill make sure you take your pills so he yeah. just turned it into like a thing um you know, I, you know, I, I think the impact of, of these drugs on creativity is pretty complex. I mean, there's research that suggests that um, that these stimulants do improve certain kinds of thinking, like focused, goal-directed behavior. So if you're having trouble sitting down and, uh, I guess, painting something that takes a long time oh. to do or writing a song or something, then, then, you know, it could potentially enhance some of those aspects of creativity oh. that require persistence yeah. and attention to detail. But there's yep. also studies that, that f- find that the medications can uh, impair um, other aspects of creativity, like divergent thinking, right, which mm. involves generating multiple unique solutions to a problem. So, you know, yeah. I think it's a, it's a mixed bag, um, but creativity itself is like a, um, a mixed bag, right? It's like a multifaceted construct. And how do you measure creativity in a research setting, you know? Yeah, um, I mean, uh, chat GPT can be pretty uh, creative, as you know. Well, but ChatGPT is just synthesizing information that it's been taught, right? Which one could argue that this that's what, what the we human are. brain does as well. <laughs> Don't yeah. we do that? <laughs> We're just large language models, basically. Yeah, yeah. The robots um, are taking over. So I don't think there's really any. Um, evidence that we're going to be decreasing our reliance on Adderall or other stimulants in the near future as society death spirals into this capitalist dystopia, uh, economic, you know, so. You I know. don't know. There, it's one of these things like when, uh, we stole fire, when Prometheus stole fire from the gods and he gave it to mankind, fire was this amazing, beautiful thing. It can cook, food it can give you light it can give you heat 
and it can burn your fucking face off. So be careful. And I think it's like this. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. Right. But <laughs> kind of that same thing. It's like, here's this amazing tool that can do amazing things if you do it properly and be cautious. And I think that's true of a lot of things uh, in life. It's that these tools, a knife can cut your bread and butter your toast or it can stab you in the jugular. Mm. Um, and so I think maybe it's one of those things where we just have to be more educated and more careful. We need more attentive clinicians and doctors. We need moral um, pharmacologists and, you know, executives at uh, drug companies, which probably. Oh, in other words, we're screwed. Probably. <laughs> but it, I think it's like that. I mean, is it one of these things? It's neither good nor bad. It's mm. just something that we must, you know, proceed with caution. All right. So and go that, watch the documentary. It's not bad. It's called Take Your Pills on Netflix. Yeah. And okay. We did the Xanax one a bit ago. We did. We did it. It's the uh, yeah, Same right. executive producer, by the way. The Schwarzenegger-Schreiber connection. Schwarzenegger. Yeah. All right. What time yeah. is it? It's time for Recovery, Recovery in the News. Yeah. All right. Recovery <laughs> in the news. Recovery in the news. Recovery. Yeah. Recovery in the news. So I got a couple this week because they sort of dovetail into one another. Um, the first one is from the Scripps News website. Um, I'm not sure who Scripps is this News This alterations are. in alcohol consumption? This is uh, the study that finds Americans are drinking alcohol at sustained and elevated rates. Uh, a recent study revealed that drinking habits among Americans appear to be historically elevated, with many reporting they drank alcohol beverages as young as 14 years old. Jeez. I mean, I I was drinking by the time I was 14. What did you say? I'm, I'm pretty sure I was drinking an entire bottle of uh, mouthwash at 4 a.m. at my friend Brian's house when I was 14. I know. I, I didn't find that as shocking as, as no. perhaps the Scripps News folks do. No. Uh, but what I, I found, this was interesting. Wine consumption, consumption is up for Americans with 50% more people consuming wine since 1995. 50% more? That's oh, like that's a lot of wine. Whereas beer consumption has fallen by 15% since the mid-1990s. Huh. Isn't that interesting? So yeah. then, then they go on to talk about how the uh, study data published by the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism found that alcohol consumption has marked declines and increases throughout history. In 1860, the average consumer drank about 2.5 gallons of alcohol. And um, modern day consumption peaked in 1980 when the average person was drinking 2.8 gallons of alcohol. Wait, per day or per year? Yeah, what is that? <laughs> That's a lot. For sitting? Yeah, yeah, that's a weird one, right? um, Probably per year. That doesn't seem like a lot for a year. Hmm. 2.8 gallons? That's how many bottles of wine is that? That's not a lot. It's like six or seven bottles of wine. More study is needed. What the hell? How could you you say that fact and then not say how much time? Question your sources, people. How stupid. 
Anyway, the NIH found that women are starting to close the gender gap in categories where men traditionally were at the top when it came to alcohol consumption. Getting this, wasted. This we know. Today, men and women are at the same level when it comes to binge drinking, whereas men traditionally outnumbered women three to one in that area. So let's hear it for the ladies. Yes. They're, they're catching up on the binge drinking. Finally. Um, Me too. A number of factors contribute to the rise in alcohol consumption, but the commonality is the prevalence of ethanol-containing beverages. What? hell kind of story is this? I was looking at this and I was like, well, this seems interesting. And now I'm like, this is very shoddy science. The consumption of alcohol is not only extremely socially normalized in American society, but there are now a plethora of various alcohol-containing beverage products available at many convenient locations and events. Really? Wow. Holy shit. (laughs) Stop the presses. Um, This is all over the place. This seems like clickbait, right? I think we need to just source uh, G-Money Smooth's um Sober Linings playbook for uh, news stories. Yeah, you're probably right. But I was just, this morning I was out running and I was looking for a story and this is what came up. All right. We've all been there. But all right. So let's, moving on to the next one. This one comes from uh, a more reliable source called neurosciencenews.com. <laughs> uh, and this I found interesting. Alterations in alcohol consumption echo depression symptom changes. So a new study uncovered a correlation between changes in alcohol consumption and the ebb and flow of depression sim- symptoms. So people reporting lower alcohol use simultaneously noted reductions in depressive symptoms, while an increase in alcohol consumption was paired with a rise in depression, irrespective of the drinking levels. Hmm. Um, so the findings, okay, op- open a new dialogue on the potential value of monitoring alcohol consumption during interventions for depression. Hmm. I would just assume that people were already doing that. Like if you were depressed, like a doctor would say to you, don't drink so much, but maybe that's not being done. Well, for me, when I was, I was still drinking a lot, this is pre major addiction problems or at least drug addiction problems. And I would, uh, I was depressed. I was sad. Things weren't going well. And I would go to these, you know, therapists, psychologists, and they would always, without a doubt say, how much do you drink? And, uh, you know, we always say two, I drink two. Yeah. Just a couple. Yeah. But once in a while I would be completely honest and they'd say, well, listen, I need you to stop drinking for a bit. Let's just see how it goes. You know, it's affecting you. And I've, of course, that's easy for you to say, doc. I would just laugh, you know, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Okay. I'll stop drinking. I'm a freaking alcoholic. You know, my body's like, ha ha. Right. It has been brought up, but I don't know that a person seeing a psychologist or a therapist will take that uh, very, uh, lightly. They're not going to do most of the time. If you're addicted to alcohol, it's not that easy to stop. Well, I mean, maybe that's why a lot of therapists tell you that you got to get your drinking under control before you can really deal with the underlying issues because, you know, yeah. uh, and it's, it's, I mean, I hate to think this is like the first study that's come along that correlates a decrease in alcohol consumption with a decrease in depression symptoms. Yeah. Um, I would think that that was kind of common knowledge. It's certainly common knowledge amongst people who quit drinking and find that their, you know, depression gets better. Not everybody. Certainly there's organic causes of depression that, you know, you stop drinking and and the depression can conceivably get worse. But I think a lot of people, uh, and this day, this study kind of validates the fact that if you decrease your alcohol consumption, your depressive symptoms sometimes get better, right? Yeah, and, and the research, of course, didn't directly identify the causative factors behind the changes in alcohol use and depression symptoms. Um, the simultaneous changes could stem from multiple factors, including the impact of drinking on depression, the effect of depression on drinking, or other known 
other unknown factors influencing both. Um, yeah, I don't cool. know. It's I think a- it kind of it's it's one of those common sense things that like if you're suffering from depression, you shouldn't drink so much. Yeah, and um, speaking to Queen Liz of Monksterhaven, I think she's like a a great example. When she was on the show a few episodes ago, she mentioned that once she finally stopped the daily drinking, how much better she felt depression-wise. You know, and it has an effect on you can do more in your life, you feel better, and it's going to make you feel better. Like you said, unless there's an underlying clinical depression problem, just being free from that. Uh, the roller coaster of taking the depressant, having the, uh, and it's a depressant. I mean, maybe that's too simple to think of it that way, but yeah, I mean, there's lots of examples of people feeling better when they quit drinking. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if the study took into account where people sort of fall along the alcohol use disorder spectrum. You know, if these are people who are alcoholics by the classical definition or, you know, people who are just drinking, you know, some somewhat less than that or how functional folks are. I I think, I think they, if they, if they scratch that below the surface on that a little bit more, they might find some interesting data in there um, about what level of drinking affects what level of depression and vice versa. So food for thought. Sorry, I lost you there for a second. Wait, do I have to fix it? Are you hearing me? Yeah, you're back. hundred percent. And we're back. And uh, we didn't go anywhere. I know. Recovery in the, in the news. In the fiction. Yeah. Okay. Right. Recovery in the news. Yeah. Recovery in the news. <laughs> la, la, la. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'd like to say that I am still not like super pleased with doing this over Zencaster. Just officially. You could always come over here and get COVID. We can't. I got to hear <laughs> the music. I need the samples in my head. I'm just oof. And I like. All right. Maybe next time we'll do it live if you want. But it, it does. It works for now. Yeah. Um, yeah so uh, that about does it for today. That's it. And da 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 da. I have all the stuff. Whatever. That about does it for today. I know I had a great time. Did you? Yes, it was incredible. Um, As always. Please thank you for listening. Join us um, on the Facebook group at uh, Recovery in the Middle Ages on Facebook. Uh, the Inner Sanctum at Patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages. And uh, if you love the show, share it with a friend, would you Uh, leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes um, on the podcast app. Um, Send us your story. Come and say hello. Uh, We're on Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, Twitter. So tweet us at what you twit. And as we say, I'm straight. Non-proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection. Stay fresh. Cheese bags. <laughs> yeah. Happy Father's Day.